Welcome to Not In Print, a podcast from Currency Press, where we speak to playwrights and theatre makers about their work, their ideas and their inspiration. I'm Caitlin Doyle-Markwick and in this episode I spoke to Andrea James. Andrea is a Yorta Yorta Gunai Kurnai playwright, director and dramaturg who is dedicated to the telling of First Nations stories on stage. She was artistic director of Melbourne Workers' Theatre from 2001 to 2008. She was recently a playwright in residence at Melbourne Theatre Company and is currently an associate artist at Griffin Theatre Company in Sydney. Andrea's plays have appeared on stages across Australia and around the world. Here we speak about her theatre practice and her two most recent plays, Sunshine Supergirl, about Aboriginal tennis champion Yvonne Gulagong, and Dogged, written in collaboration with Catherine Ryan. of your work you're writing for the stage um, has First Nations stories lives and, and language at the center of it so I'm curious to know was it the desire to tell these stories that that drew you to theater in the first place when you were starting out or was it something that you realized you wanted to do once you'd already started on that path yeah um no I look I definitely I think there was um always an inkling there that theater was the place for us to tell to tell our stories. And um, I, I suppose it was a pretty formative experience in my, you know, year nine high school drama class, you know, um, where we had a really progressive, fantastic teacher who traveled up from Melbourne in our little, you know, one horse hick town in Northeast Victoria on Yorta Yorta country. And she, she screened the lousy little sixpence and it just completely blew my mind in terms of a lot of the history to do with stolen generations and the way that our country, you know, had been colonised and, um, and you know, with all of that sort of hard archival, you know, indisputable evidence. And I just thought, oh, my God, you know, it really did crack open my entire world. And I think that the fact that I was in the drama class and not the history class <laughs> where I went, okay, this is the place where truth is told, you know, and I think that really, really struck a chord with me. Um, you know, so look, I did what all sensible young girls do and I went off and got myself a legal secretary job halfway through year 11 and, um, you know, and was, um, was in, you know, told in uncertain terms it was the best secretarial job in town, um, you know, and so, you know, within six months I realised that wasn't really the case and uh, I was very you know a little bit bored and um yeah so then so then I decided to move to Melbourne and and to study um, humanities actually tertiary orientation program and um yeah so so theatre and drama was always just something that really interested me and and that that experience in year nine just I think really stuck stuck with me um for a very long time and um yeah, so I just, um, you know, so I did the thing, went to La Trobe University and did all of that stuff where you look at all of the classics and you go through all the various genres and, you know, which was fine and, and all very good. But, you know, I just knew that that there were other stories to tell, the, the stories that we weren't being told, you know, and that hadn't really been written about much, it, you know, back in, in, in that time. And, you know, I'm only talking, you know, early to mid-80s here. <laughs> there really wasn't much been written by um, Aboriginal playwrights at the time as well and and you had to have a you know it was a, there was a real hunt as well so so yeah I don't know if it was really that conscious but it just was something that I wanted to explore um, for myself and for my family more than anything else. 
with a few of your plays, including Sunshine, Supergirl and Yanagai Yanagai, you've not only written them, but directed them yourself. So what is it that makes you decide that you want to direct one of your plays yourself? So, you know, when I went to the BCA, I, I'm a theatre maker. So, you know, I make work from scratch. So, and then the reason why I did theatre making was because all of the plays that I was reading didn't I didn't relate to them you know so in a way I had to write my own stuff because there really wasn't anything there that was telling my story my my family's story my father's story you know so um and and as as things have progressed more and more obviously you know I realize now that that's been a really important thing like I think it's really important for First Nations people to direct First Nations work and there's there's something just a little bit more, um, you know, integral about that as well. Um, but that certainly wasn't the reason why I did it initially. You know, really, it was because of my theatre making background, and that's what you did. You know, I was trying to make make work from the ground up and to see it through right till the very end. So, um, you know, but I, and I guess that being said, though, um, you know, I do enjoy um, when other people direct my work. I enjoy the discoveries, the things that you know I wouldn't necessarily have thought myself or even to just enjoy somebody else's pace and kind of rhythm, you know, to get my own kind of anxious <laughs> pace out of, out of the directing. So, so that's just as nice as well, but um, I, I don't have a preference either or, um, but you know, when I, when I write, because I'm a theatre maker, I'm very much thinking about what it's going to look and feel like on stage, you know, when as a creator, I want to see that, you know, I guess on that question, and before we get on to Sunshine Supergirl, I'm curious to know about the process of collaboration on your uh, most recent play, Dogged, with Catherine Ryan, partly because I recently read the script and found the images and characters in it really mesmerising. So it was obviously a very successful collaboration, but I know that collaborative writing is by no means straightforward or easy. So I'm just interested to know how that kind of played out. Yeah, well, look, this is the third time I've collaborated now. I've worked with Giordano Nanny on um, Corin Dirk and the various iterations of that and um, Elise Hurst on Bright World and, and now my very good friend and, Kath, and, and colleague Kath on Dogged. And, um, yeah, I really enjoy the process. I think part of it has been about setting, you know, setting really good good parameters down, knowing, you know, knowing what worth I bring to the project, you, you know, as well. And um, and then and then sort of just getting down to it. But I think if there's good clear parameters, um, that's just made the process quite quite easy. Not to say there's not a tussle, but I I think that I think what I love about the tussle that you have when you collaborate is you know really drama is about tension and kind of conflict. And and in a way, as collaborators, when you co-write on a project, you're sort of working that out all the time, you know. And I think if you go in with a really good open mind and 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 a lot of, you know, a lot of respect and you're not going to railroad each other, you know, it's for me, it's been a really incredibly enjoyable experience. And I always work, I always learn so much from my co-writers. I, you know, they they push you along a little bit, you know, and um and and I've I've really, really enjoyed that and got a lot out of um, collaborations. It's not something I've ever initiated myself. Um, I've always been invited into these processes, but um, I've always found them really, really enjoyable and and fruitful, actually. Well, it's, I mean, it's lovely to be the invited one into a into a collaboration. It, it's always, a, I guess, a nice 
complement. And a lot of the time writing is much more of a collaborative process than perhaps people might think. Like, you know, there's always people looking in, giving advice and, you know, giving a giving an outside eye. It's just a it's just a matter of degrees a lot of the time, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And look, in all of the situations where I've collaborated with a co-writer, you know, I've I've worked with somebody who really wants to you know, understand and platform an Indigenous voice and that they felt they couldn't do that themselves, you know, and so there's always been from the from the very get-go, you know, um, this huge amount of respect and, and, a, and a respect and a real valuing of what I offer to the partnership, you know, which is a, which is a First Nations worldview, which is, you know, which has been really, really important. I think, you know, I think, um, you know, it's, you know, theatre in Australia has really grappled with how to, how to do that. And I think we're getting that more, you know, we're, we're getting that right <laughs> as we go along. It's taken us quite a few decades, you know, really to kind of get to this place. But um, yeah, so, so if, if, if I've come into a process like that, then I know that that person has, you know, has respect and understanding for the kind of cultural, offerings you know that that and the the linkages that i have with community and country um that i can that i can share and and you know knowing that that person really wants that to happen too so what was it that attracted you to yvonne's story yeah, well, my partner actually bought me her autobiography home um, one for a for birthday present. And um, it was just in our early days of courting and he was really trying to impress me and he knew that I was going to the Australian Open and that I was a mad tennis um, nut. <laughs> and so he gifted me her book and um, it was an absolute page turner. I just could not put it down. And, um, you know, and I think that look, we all have those you know iconic images that we know of Yvonne you know holding that plate aloft but there was just so much um, about her story that we really didn't know that was completely and utterly fascinating to me and and I just felt like you know broader Australia needed to be reminded of you know why and how she 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 got to you know um, those incredible achievements and and also you know what she had to navigate you know at that time as well and and for me you know look she's our first ever aboriginal women's world champion you know um running behind lionel rose with the boxing you know so so for me i just felt it was time you know it was really well we were well and truly due to to celebrate um yvonne's amazing legacy um, you know, and given that, you know, only this year we, we we had 50 year celebration of her first Wimbledon win in 1971, which Ash Barty um, beautifully signposted with with her with her win that um, was just so moving for everybody. Um, so yeah, well, well and truly time to tell to tell this story. And I think Australia still has a lot to learn from from that, um, you know, from that whole experience, but also in particular. You know, thinking about my little nieces and nephews that are growing up and, you know, becoming teenagers themselves, 12, 13, 14, when Yvonne left her hometown to follow her dreams, you know, and, and I think that we, you know, role modelling is a really, really important thing. So, you know, I feel like I wrote it as much for my nieces and nephews more than anything, you know, because if, if, 
Yvonne Goolagong could do it, um, you know, maybe so can you. So, so that that was the impetus behind behind it all. And um, yeah, once once I made the decision to sort of do it, and I you know very nervously approached Yvonne and and her husband Roger to let her know that I was you know I was doing the project. Um, then it was then then it was away. Yeah. It's interesting you say that there were certain details about her life that you hadn't heard of before and that you wanted to draw out because I suppose Yvonne has has this kind of mythical status in, in a way, in a sort of a similar way to all of our sports stars. But of course, there was nothing straightforward about her road to stardom, like issues of, of racism and, and so forth that she that she faced along the way that drawn out in the play, I think is really a really important aspect of it that shows how, how astounding a person and sportswoman she was, but humanises her as well. Absolutely. I mean, look, I think we have an absolute fascination. I mean, we know we're in the middle of the Olympics at the moment, but, you know, we have this absolute fascination about about what it's like to be number one at something you know and there is something extraordinary about that you know and it's a it's a classic sort of quest story is it isn't it but you know we just know that given that Yvonne and her parents weren't even citizens of Australia you know we only got the right to vote in 67 and she only won that first French and Wimbledon opens in 1971 so that you know that her quest to get to that number one place you know, was just that little bit harder. And um, and so I think that's really worth worth celebrating and noting as well. I think one of the most memorable parts of the story is the kind of contrast between the world that she inhabited as a girl and the world that she went on to be part of in her tennis career. So the play starts out with um, Yvonne fishing in the Murrumbidgee River and then goes on to show her life with her with her family in Borellan and then she moves away to the city's totally different world and eventually travels all over the globe but she often feels homesick and ultimately returns home to live. So would you say that being away from from her family and from country while she was pursuing her career was a big source of tension or conflict in Yvonne's life? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. I mean, it was a, it was a sort of, um, it was something that was really necessary to do for her to really achieve. Um, and I think that it was a constant, it was a constant sort of um, tension and a, and a pull and a, and a yearning for her being pulled kind of both ways. And I think even when she did manage to get back home, you know, often it was kind of fleeting. She'd sort of, you know, go and fill her cup, you know, and then and then get back to the coach's, you know, home and, and back into training and back onto, you know, onto a circuit. But I guess that's just what you've got to do. But I think that, you know, I think what made um, Yvonne so notable was, well, number one, the name. How could you ever forget that extraordinarily wonderful rhythmic name of hers? But also that she she was an incredibly humble competitor, and I think what people really enjoyed is that she brought a little bit of home with her everywhere she went, you know. And she and she definitely, you know, carried the ethos of her mother and father, you know, the influences of her parents and her her country and her people were were incredibly important to her. And and I think that that was a strength that she was able to play to, you know. And people just loved that she. You know, she was so humble and playful and, you know, she'd play music in the dressing rooms, you know, with this little transistor radio that was completely unheard of back in the day. And she was just really, you know, a, a complete and utter breath of fresh, 
fresh air, I think, for, for what was, you know, sometimes a really stuffy circuit. So, yeah, so I think that she was, she was really able to bring a little bit of country and home with her wherever she went. And I think that's what made her so, you know, so enjoyable to watch. Yeah, she definitely lives up to that title that she earned, Sunshine Supergirl. She does kind of exude this, I don't know, bright presence. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how, to, how else to describe it, but it is a fitting description. So you said that you were quite nervous in, in approaching her. What was it actually like to work with Yvonne in, in telling her life story? Because I guess more often than not, with biographical stories, um, they're told once the person is, is no longer around. So it must have been quite special to have her input and to, for her to actually see her own life played out on the stage. Yeah, I mean, I can't begin to imagine what that process has been like. And, you know, like, yeah, it was incredibly nerve wracking to to make the approach. And I knew that 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 was really important. Um, And Yvonne and her husband, Roger, were incredibly generous with their time. I mean, I was just somebody that they completely had no idea who I was, you know, Um, and, and probably not that much experience with with theatre going, you know, or in terms of knowing the process of, of what what goes into making, you know, a large scale theatre work as well. So I was incredibly, you know, nervous and anxious about that. Um, but, you know, to their credit, they, they read the material. They were incredibly um, critical at times, um, but also really generous in offering me you know, anecdotes that weren't in the in the archives or in her book, which I also really, really appreciated. I mean, that being said, you know, that it's not like it's 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 an endorsement either. And they were really um they were really clear about that. I mean, you know, they they Yvonne and Roger have their own business and and her own legacy, you know, is something that they hold, you know, a lot of value in as well. And you know, and and I had a really particular interpretation, which I was, you know, acutely aware, you know, um, it may not have been exactly what they experienced because they lived that experience. So that was a kind of a constant negotiation. And I think that even though when you're telling a a life story, there's always an element of theatricalization and, you know, in dramatization that you bring to it, you know, you you peak things more than they happen in real life or there's things that lots of sort of detail about things that I could tell was really, really important to Yvonne may not have resonated as much that amount of detail on stage. So, you know, it's that, it's that kind of cherry picking thing that you do. So um, yeah. So look, I'm, I'm just really grateful that, you know, they did, they did lend, you know, their ear and they were, they voiced themselves really, um, really clearly, you know, if things were wrong, there were things that we negotiated that, that they would prefer to have not had in the play. And I had to really respect that as well. So, um, but the real truth in the um, telling, I think, came when Roger and Yvonne, when we invited them to an actual showing, because I knew them being because they're both tennis players Roger is an ex-tennis player as well and I just knew that they really needed to see it physically you know that that what what it is off the page is actually quite different to when you read it and so we invited them up to a work in progress showing and um down actually because they're based in Queensland and 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 she was really moved by even the little reading um moment that that we that we showed as well so that that was a really big 
you know, important moment in the process is, is to sort of go, look, there's something more than to just what's on the page and please, you know, come and have a look at, at how we want to sort of interpret this and, and how, we, how we're expressing um, the, the very physical, you know, elite sports physicality on, on stage through contemporary dance. Um, and, and they really loved it. So, so yeah, that was a big, massive um, relief. The play does have a lot of movement and, and choreography in it, which I guess I, I hadn't expected when, when coming to see it. And it was a really fantastic part of the show. And a lot of the casts, as I understand it, are actually professional dancers. So did you kind of conceive of it this way from the outset with all these physical aspects or did that kind of take shape later on as you, as you were writing it? Yeah, no, I knew from the word go that the physicality would be a really important part of the storytelling process. And because in a way that's her, that's Yvonne's major tool, you know, it's the physicality and the way she moved her around the stage. And, you know, so many people around the, the tennis court, so many people would say, you know, they, she was noted for her grace on the court, that the way that she that she moved and, um, you know, and, and I think me too, being a, a mad tennis nut too, I just love how exciting it is that, you know, when you go and watch even just the practice um, sessions or you, you're sitting courtside and you're watching somebody, you know, hit a ball at, you know, 180 kilometres an hour, it's just awesome. So, you know, I knew I wanted to give a sense of that you know, on on the stage and to have it played in traverse and 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 literally have her life played out on the stage. And, and that's why, you know, I immediately thought of um Vicky Van Hoot and Katina Olsen who came on board in, in production and did additional uh choreography. Um, and also I just know that there's no way that we could have ever been able to emulate, you know, her prowess on the court by miming badly, <laughs> you know, and that that really the best way to do it is through dance and to get, you know, to get elite dancers and movers and actors together who are really good at their craft and to find a way, um, you know, to find a way to be able to express that and to still be true to some of the classic you know, gestures of tennis that we kind of all know and sort of love, but give it a sort of a really creative treatment, but also harking back to her, you know, to her culture and her her country and that 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 really um, beautiful big river and those massive landscapes that she comes from as well, and to have an essence of that in the movement too for me was was really really important and and I guess that comes down to your other question too in terms of why the then then going on to direct the show because yeah um that was just something really early on that I knew had to be a part of it that you can't really get this sense of that on the page yeah, it seems like tennis is one of those sports that is compared to dance. I mean, a similar way, I guess, to soccer sometimes. Um, and there is a sort of fascination with the movement of it. Do, am I remembering rightly that there's quotes from David Foster Wallace in it? Yes, I read them, The Inner Game of Tennis as well, which is a sort of a classic. I mean, this guy has written The Inner Game of Golf, The Inner Game of all sorts of things but um yes there is there is some sort of classic quotes about the technique that to me was absolutely fascinating when you break it down scientifically the kind of eye hand eye coordination that has to go on to you know uh, to receive a serve at 100 and 
80 kilometers an hour, you know, to, that's really fascinating to me, but it harkens back to kind of what you need to do as a performer as well. You know, what you, what you need to do to put yourself into a space, you know, psychologically as well to kind of be completely, completely um, prepared and able to put yourself in front of those really fast, unpredictable balls and to be able to kind of do that but to also perform it's very much a performance arena tennis you know and there's two personalities facing off each other and um you know and and you know and, and tennis players do talk about that kind of um the self-doubting voice and what you kind of need to do to sort of prep yourself in much the same way as you need to do when you when you're a performer you know put yourself into that kind of place where you can you know, be um, uber, uber responsive. And, you know, they talk about that as the sweet spot, you know, when all of those things kind of align. And um, and I think performers, you know, I gave that book to, to Katie Beckett and she gobbled it up, you know, because there's so much to be said about, you know, just being a performer and how you need to, you know, um, train train your mind to to not worry about um, self doubt and to just be able to put yourself in that place to know the next sentence <laughs> without thinking ahead, which is exactly what you know elite sports people need to do as well. So, yeah, I really I really enjoyed um, the theory of all of that. Yeah, yeah, I suppose there's a sort of similar necessity to at once like block out the crowd but also you're responding to their to their energy in the same way that that you might on the stage so this year is actually currency press's 50th anniversary and in looking back on the history of Currency Press recently. It's been really interesting to look at the changes in the stories being told on Australian stages across the five decades. And I think one really welcome change is how many more First Nations plays and playwrights have been staged and published in the last two or three decades, as you said. And, you know, so many of them deal with stories, you know, about culture, resistance, colonisation and so on that are pretty crucial to understanding the history of this country and this continent and also understanding Australian society now. So how important is it in your eyes that First Nations plays are supported and given space on our stages and continue to be? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's been a really long time coming and, you know, I've been sort of slogging away in this industry for 30 years now and so you know it it hasn't just come out of nowhere there's been a lot of real hard slog sweat and tears you know there's been a lot of allies along the way um you know when you think of wendy blacklock performing lines who was one of the first producers to you know to build up and produce and tour you know aboriginal plays and tour them around the country and, and around the world i mean you know so so that we've really had to you know rely on on some really great allies along the way but i think the thing that's kind of really um exciting to me is that you know we'll we've had obituary and and Mughalan and Uriak and these Aboriginal theatre companies are really um coming to their own now I think it's still really tragic that we only have you know three four five you know Aboriginal you know um run theatre companies and I, and I think that there's still a lot of a way to go but you know having those companies there and and um 
and producing and, and touring work has been a really important part of the landscape and it took us a really long time to get a piece of that pie as well you know um and so i think that there's a lot more sort of self-determination and a lot of really great skill now that's been honed you know over over decades and and we're just seeing this really beautiful black wave of theater i'm i'm just so excited about it because you know literally when i first started out there was one or two playwrights on stage and that was it you know across the country um and so so it's it's just it's just great and and and, and we should have always have been like that you know our first nation stories are absolutely pivotal and central to what happens you know in this country and and you know and i think that um and they've always been there like they've always been there it's just that you know now there's more pathways for them to be published and and shown um you know but these these stories have been told and sung around fires you know and in little shacks and around the kitchen tables for generations so you know it's it's really isn't anything new it's just that you know we've been able to kind of carve a bit more a bit more space i think that you know i think the work that's been done in abc sally riley and blackfella films like the stuff that's happening on the small and big screen is also really really exciting as well so um you know i think there's always a lot more work that we still need to do you know i mean one of our biggest dilemmas we've got at the moment is that there's all these plays that people want to put on and really we don't have enough trained actors particularly when you want to cast anybody an aboriginal person over 40 or 50 years old and that's absolutely tragic to me you know so i think it's great that we've got a lot of these stories but we've also got to think of the broader the broader ecology now as well so you know um there's still a lot more work to be done To buy a copy of Sunshine Supergirl or Dogged, as well as Andrea's other plays like Yanagai Yanagai, head over to currency.com.au. Thank you for listening.